So we're going to start this morning by going back to around AD 55. And the Apostle Paul is nearing the end of a three-year stay in the city of Ephesus when he receives news from the church in Corinth. Paul loved the fledgling Corinthian church. He'd stayed there building it up for over a year. And unfortunately, in this letter he receives, the news is not all good. Corinth was a very wealthy, bustling city. It was polytheistic, and it was so immoral that at the time there was actually a verb to Corinthianize, which meant to get up to hanky-panky, to commit sexual immorality. And the church in Corinth is being infected with the societal norms and the values of the surrounding pagan pleasure-seeking community. So that sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? So Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and so far in this letter, 1 Corinthians, he's addressed a number of spiritual and moral issues, urging the Corinthians to maintain a countercultural lifestyle. And today, we're looking at chapter 15, where he urges them to a countercultural hope in a real resurrection. Let's rewind to the beginning of the chapter, and in verses 3 to 8, Paul reminds his listeners that the resurrection is historical fact. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. The many resurrection appearances are factual. Paul himself testifies to having met the resurrected Christ, and Paul really lays his claims on the line in verse 6, most of whom are still living. Paul either knew some of these people or else he was told by someone who knew them that they were still walking around and prepared to be interviewed. So Paul is basically inviting people to check it out for themselves. Would he have said this if he wasn't confident that they would back him up? In 1979, the award-winning journalist Lee Strobel, an ardent atheist, was somewhat perturbed when he discovered during a meal in an Italian restaurant that one of his best friends was a Christian and actually believed in the myth of the resurrection. Strobel made it his mission for the following two years to investigate the claims of Christ focusing particularly on the resurrection. And to his consternation, 
The investigation led to him being convinced that the resurrection of Christ actually happened. And in 1981, he took the next step, he knelt down, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. In the second part of the chapter, Paul moves on to the next big question. Why does it matter? Some of the believers in Corinth, possibly infected with Gnostic philosophy of the time, Gnostic philosophy, for those of you who are interested, sees the material as bad and the spiritual as good. So the idea of a bodily, physical resurrection was repugnant. So the Corinthians, infected with this, are expressing some doubts about the resurrection. Paul knows that his readers, particularly the Greeks, valued logic, so he hits them with logic in verses 12 to 19. If dead bodies can't be raised, then Christ wasn't raised. If Christ's body wasn't raised, then faith is a delusion and the apostles were lying about their experiences. By implication, Jesus Christ was lying when he prophesied that he would rise from the dead. If Christ was not raised, believers are still in their sins, perish in everlasting punishment for their sins, and are the most miserable people in this life. If Christ was not raised, it is meaningless to suffer and face death for the faith. You know, one of the most convincing proofs of the resurrection for me is the fact that the disciples and the early Christians had too much at stake to make a delusion the centre of their belief system. They were willing to go to their deaths defending the truth of the resurrection. Wouldn't you expect them to quietly give up this belief or tone it down when it would cost them their lives? In verse 20, Paul refers back to the Old Testament. He reminds us that because Adam sinned, all people also sin and die. But Jesus was the first person to rise as immortal after having died. Jesus' resurrection is tied to the promise of believers' physical resurrections as well. Christ became the head of a new human race. Verse 22, for as all die in Adam, so in Christ all will be made alive. It matters. In his book, The Case for Christ, Lee Strobel, the converted atheist journalist, tells us why it matters. I share one extract from the book with you. This extract is called The Resurrection of Debbie. And in this extract, um, sorry, Debbie Haber, in 1995, Debbie Habermas slowly and painfully died of stomach cancer. A few years later, her husband Gary, who's a leading expert on the resurrection, told Lee Strobel's this story. 
I sat on our porch, he began. My wife was upstairs dying. It was an awful time. This was the worst thing that could possibly happen. I knew if God were to come to me, I'd ask only one question. God, why is Debbie up there in bed dying? And I think God would respond by asking gently, Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? I'd say, come on, Lord, I've written several books on that topic. Of course he was raised from the dead. But I want to know about Debbie. I think he'd keep coming back to the same question. Did I raise my son from the dead? Did I raise my son from the dead until I got his point? The resurrection says that if Jesus was raised 2,000 years ago, there's an answer to Debbie's death in 1995. It was a horrible emotional time for me, but I couldn't get around the fact that the resurrection is the answer for her suffering. I still worried. I still wondered what I would do raising four kids on my own. But there wasn't a time when that truth didn't comfort me. Losing my wife was the most painful experience I've ever had to face. But if the resurrection could get me through that, it can get me through anything. Gary's eyes locked with mine. That's not some sermon, he said quietly. I believe that with all my heart. If there's a resurrection, there's heaven. If Jesus was raised, Debbie will be raised. And I will be someday too. Then I'll see them both. It matters. The author Max Lucado puts it like this. The question, how do we explain it? Jesus was a backwater peasant. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never journeyed more than 200 miles from his hometown. Friends left him. One betrayed him. Those he helped forgot him. Prior to his death, they abandoned him. But after his death, they couldn't resist him. What made the difference? The answer. His death and resurrection. For when he died, so did your sin. And when he rose, so did your hope. When he rose, your grave was changed from a final residence to temporary housing. The reason he did it, the face in your mirror. The verdict after two millenniums, Herod was right. There is room for only one king. Three weeks ago, I talked about the raising of Lazarus from the dead, an event which in some ways prefigured Christ's own resurrection. And an image from John chapter 12 has really stuck with me. It's Jesus speaking to Martha in John 11, verses 
verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who believes, who lives and believes in me, will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And the wonderful events of Easter confirm Martha in her belief. In my last talk, I reminded us that we're not called to tick yes or no on a survey regarding our belief in the resurrection. Like Lee Strobel, we're called to let our belief lead to commitment to a countercultural hope in the midst of a broken, hopeless, and godless world. So, will you use? these coming weeks between Easter and Pentecost to let the truth of the resurrection sink into your soul? Will you recommit yourself to your relationship with the risen Jesus Christ? Maybe by taking the small step of reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15 again this week. May Martha's words become words which we truly own. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Amen.